Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Keith Gilbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play and download archive editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Karen Liu, head of Turner Broadcasting's Insights and Inspiration Team, which is charged with bringing new and innovative ideas and concepts and things from around the world to spur innovation at Turner Broadcasting across their brands. Previously, Karen was a user experience designer at CNN.com, where she co-founded CNN iReport. She also writes a weekly innovation column for HLNTV.com and was featured at TEDx Centennial Park Women, where she talked about today's topic, play in the workplace. Karen Liu, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you so much for having me. Well, for those who don't know, Turner is part of the Time Warner Company, which includes um, uh, CNN and the Cartoon Network and several other networks and brands. Why does Turner Broadcasting care about play? Well, um, it's interesting. I think that my journey with play at Turner has really been kind of a a grassroots or uh, a bottom-up approach. Um, In fact, I've kind of... uh, done it guerrilla style, <laughs> uh, if you will. And I'm kind of hoping that um, it's one of the factors contributing to a larger culture change at Turner where we can get um, this bottom up kind of bubbling up and desire to play to meet somewhere with um, bigger culture change that's starting to happen from the top down as well. So you you and, and some of your colleagues have actually done some specific things that uh, are quite playful and, and, and encouraging play, and I, I think with you know, sort of the broader goal, like you're saying, around culture to tap into fostering creativity and, and ultimately innovative thinking about how you do what you do. Mm-hmm. What are some of those specific things you guys have done so far? Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, fun stuff. Um, well, if you'll let me back up a little bit, I can uh, kind of give a short story of how we got to do the playful things, and that might um, help place it more into context. Definitely. So Definitely. as as you mentioned, um, I have this really dreamy job at Turner where I get to look around the world and look to the future and really bring back, um, you know, culture shifts and global trends and anything that's new and exciting and innovative that's happening out there and bring back and bring that back to the company. And my, you know, my own goal within that is to spur on innovation and experimentation at the company. So about a year and a half ago, I started to see this really really wonderful global movement happen um, around play. And what I'm talking about is um, adults playing. I'm not talking about children playing or, or even anything involving electronics or checking in or badges. It was What I saw was really adults wanting to play in a childlike kind of way. Um, and, you know, we started to see from around the world wonderful projects like swings popping up in unexpected places or slides. And uh, it was, to me, it was possibly a reflection of the global economic climate um, and certainly counter-trend, I think, to everything being so digital and connected. But it seemed to me that adults wanted to snap out of their everyday routines and almost have an unexpected moment of levity. So 
I started to see brands around the world tap into this as well, and I work a lot with marketing teams at Turner. So when I started to see brands like Coke, for example, or Evian, um, Evian popped up a wonderful uh, adult-sized playground um, in London. It was called the Live Young Playground. And not only were all the playground equipment uh, adult-sized, they were hooked up to snow generators so that as you swing or seesaw, it generated snow um, to fall over the playground, which was just so lovely and magical. And I, I really saw brands tapping into this kind of desire for adults to be kids again for, for that moment. So um, this is where I'm really lucky I love my job because it's a blank slate every time. It's my responsibility to bring information like this back to the company, and I can do it however I want. And to me, it's always better to be experiential um, and to show rather than tell, right? It seemed really lame to to do a PowerPoint (laughs) about play. So um, we decided to do it in a very uh, guerrilla kind of way. We came in over a weekend, and um, we were armed with nothing more than some neon green duct tape. And we just, all over our Midtown campus in Atlanta and over the CNN Center, we popped up these neon green hopscotch games. We popped up four square cords. We turned trash cans into like little basketball free throw lines. <laughs> So when people came into work that following Monday, all of these surprises were waiting for them, these invitations to play, and um, people really loved them. Uh, I have to tell you, nothing made my day more than when somebody, when a friend or a colleague would call me up and say, Karen, I just saw a man in a suit hopscotch into work. (laughs) Um, So doing it this way... We put up those uh, installations for quite a few weeks, and it led to some wonderful conversations around the company. And one of the fantastic collaborations uh, I formed was striking up this partnership with our HR folks. Um, They are very keen on making the workplace more playful and engaging right now, which is wonderful. And we we got together, we brainstormed a little bit about what more we could do because clearly people were really clamoring for this. And uh, eventually we came up with the idea to turn uh, a main employee staircase at the CNN Center into a piano staircase. So we actually wrapped the entire staircase, it was 36 steps, so three octaves uh, exactly, to look like a piano keyboard and there were sensors and speakers on it so that as people walked up and down, it actually played like an actual piano. Um, and that was a huge hit as well. So now we're, um, we have this fantastic partnership, and we are continuing our conversations to see what else we can do for Turner across all of our offices around the world to make our environment more creative and playful. Karen, <clears throat> excuse me, Karen, uh, we were talking before we started, Steve, you and I, about your TEDx talk yes. where you you told us that you unexpectedly at the last minute were putting together a very different talk than you imagined about play and how play leads to creativity and innovation and your work at Turner and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, that you brought in to this talk, your own personal story. So um, I think Steve and I would both love it if you'd share a, a bit about your personal story and and journey and what led 
what's led to what you're doing today at Turner and, and also in Atlanta to create a more playful city there. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, there's a, there's a lot there. So I um, was invited to do this TEDx talk. It happened last month in December, and I had imagined that I would talk about um, exactly what I had just been talking about, which is my wonderful job and spotting this trend around play around the world and bringing that to Turner. Well, about two or three weeks before the talk happened, um, some news, breaking news happened out of uh, mainland China, which is where I'm from, and it just, um, it really shook me. It was something I couldn't stop thinking about, and the news was that um, the Chinese government had made some policy changes around um, the one-child policy as well as abolishing labor camps. Um, it, It's funny, this seems as far from play as humanly possible, but uh, because I couldn't stop thinking about these topics um, because of the way they had affected my own life growing up, I managed to um, turn, I, I, I managed to connect the two, I guess, and transform my talk at the very last minute into a very personal account of uh, my own background and my parents' background and tying that into play because I strongly believe that everything about my background makes me who I am today and how I see the world. So to give uh, just a real short version of that, um, my parents when they were in um, their teens, about 18 or 19, they were kind of caught in um, a socialist re-education program that had happened underneath uh, the Cultural Revolution in China at the time. Uh, From what I understand, about 17 million urban youth, um, like my parents, who were both from Shanghai, were sent far away from their homes for an indefinite amount of time. All of the schools and education systems were shut down, and they essentially became laborers. Um, so my parents became laborers on a tea farm um, in some mountains quite far away from their homes, and that's where they ended up meeting each other. So sadly, that generation of kids became what is known as China's lost generation. So... Um, when they left their homes, they were about 18 or 19 years old. And by the time they came back, they were nearly 30. So if you think about, you know, um, the decade of your 20s and how important and playful and experimental that is, um, how critical that is to a person's development, they both lost all of that. Um, And then by the time I was born in 1980, the one-child policy was already in place. So I grew up as an only child, as really an entire generation of only children. And we emigrated to the United States when I was 10 years old. Um, now, I started with that story, but that's that's my parents' story. My story is actually quite different. I had a wonderful childhood. By the time I came along, my parents had continued with their education. They were making plans to come to the United States. Um, They were incredibly playful with me. In fact, one of my favorite memories was when they both showed up at my school unannounced in the middle of a school day and took me out. (laughs) We played hooky for the rest of the afternoon and went to a festival and 
it's one of my favorite memories was when my parents came and kidnapped me out of school. <laughs> so I really think that because my parents lost 10 years um, of their lives and 10 playful years, they really more than made up for that with me. And I had an incredibly joyous and playful childhood where um, we traveled a lot. We played outside. Um, I learned how to play the violin and it's um, it's really made me who I am today and turned me into somebody who is kind of very drawn to just wonderfully being silly and wacky and playful things. <laughs> and I think being an immigrant, you know, has a has a lot to do with that too. Um, just that being an immigrant means, you know, th- really the first step toward having a better life is having the ability to imagine that, right? And having the ability to imagine something better and different. And more than anything, play gives you vision and play lets you see possibilities. So I think all of those factors together turned me into exactly who I am today. And I think I've really invented and reinvented myself through play throughout my life. And when I was lucky enough to stumble upon this global trend at work, it suddenly reawakened something in me, and I was lucky enough to to pursue it, um, you know, under under the auspices of work, which is amazing. You know, um, when I was watching the video, I I think I'm right around your parents' age, so I was imagining parallel with listening to you what that would have been like for me to not be where I was at that age, to be removed. Right. And it was very, it felt very, um, went right through me, actually, Karen. And so um, I was just, I was very taken with it. But I also was just about to ask you then, so at this point, what's your philosophy of play? But I think you just said it which is that play helps us to imagine something different mm-hmm. and then go from there. But yes. do you have anything else to add to that about your what what you imagine about um, how you and others can play and what that means in the big picture? Well, I think um, play absolutely lets you exercise your imagination and have vision and see possibilities. Um, it, I'm not an expert on the, the academics behind it, but I know there's tons of research that says that playful people are just more uh, creative, right, and productive and probably better problem solvers and just happier people in general. And from what I'm doing at the moment, it makes perfect sense that happier people are going to make better employees. Um, So I think it's really wonderful that a company as large as Turner is supporting that and making the workplace more uh, playful for everybody. And um, on on another note, um, I so I curate a speaker series for our company, and I've been lucky enough to bring in several experts around play. And one of them was Jen Lim, who um, comes from Zappos. And Zappos is a company that's very, very famous for uh, being playful and focusing on employee happiness and being profitable at the same time. And in fact, they've been so successful that they spun off their own consultancy called Delivering Happiness. So Jen came um, 
with Delivering Happiness and gave a wonderful topic, uh, talk on topic of play. And the one thing that she said that really resonated with me, which I think um, really aligns with my own philosophy that I've come to develop, is that in order for adults to play, um, we have to feel like we're safe and we have to feel like we have permission. And I thought that was so fascinating because whenever I talk to people about this topic, they just say, oh my gosh, you know, of course we all played as kids and then somewhere along the line we stopped and we forgot how. And, you know, the the, the guy that hopscotched into work, he looked around and made sure nobody was watching <laughs> before he before he did it. And when did, you know, when did that happen? So I think creating an environment, um, again, talking about adults playing, making them feel safe and making them feel like they do have the permission to play and giving yourself the permission to play, that's so important. And it's it might be pretty magical where that leads you if you just kind of let yourself do it. And I'm lucky enough to be in the position where now that I know that, I can kind of create right create these invitations to play so that people feel like they have permission to step out of their everyday and have that moment of levity that they're kind of yearning for so that's <laughs> that's kind of my philosophy um toward it and i would say you know some of the the lessons i learned from this year long process of instituting playfulness um from a bottom up approach is to ask for forgiveness and not permission. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you want something wonderful to happen, you kind of have to go out there and, and do it. Um, so we uh, we kind of just went ahead with what we wanted to do and, and, and didn't necessarily <laughs> ask permission all around, but it had a wonderful effect. Um, and the other thing is to ask for help. You know, I have this idea now. Um, it, there's a fire kind of lit within me on this topic, and I want to move beyond Turner and help make Atlanta a more playful city overall. And I want us to do that by by seeing the entire city as our playground. I didn't know how to do that, and I asked for help. And I think sometimes it's so important to just ask and to just reach out to say to the creative community and say, "Hey, I want to do this. How can how can you help?" And um, so many people have responded, and I feel like I'm amassing this small army of like-minded folks now within Atlanta's creative community, and we have some big plans in store for, for making Atlanta more playful in 2014. So I'd say my philosophies um, would be to just you know create invitations, make people feel safe, make them feel like they have permission. Um, it doesn't have to be anything big. We can create play exactly where we are. It can be done for the cost of a roll of duct tape <laughs> and to just I, ask for help and collaboration. The, I was just going to say it's interesting how the roll of duct tape was enough to give permission, essentially. You know, yes, the duct tape exactly. On the floor and uh, and I, I think I was going to ask you, you know, for people that sort of want to try something out at work, you know, what might they do? And I, I think you basically, you know, have touched on that and, and the not asking permission and just simply trying something simple like like you guys said, you know, putting on the tape on the floor or creating yes. something that encourages somebody to interact with it. With, exactly. You know, it can be so low-key and so low-cost, and that was really well put, Steve. I think the role of duct tape is absolutely created an invitation. And have fun while you're doing it. I'm sure while you were there over the weekend, you were having fun. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I have to say, when I took them down eventually, just because the duct tape got so worn, um, all these 
people that I didn't know were walking by, and they were just like, no, please don't take that away. <laughs> I have got to work every day. So that's why I think it's it's so important that we keep doing this. Um, but I, I mentioned wanting to do more for Atlanta. One of the ideas that that came out of simply having a cup of coffee with another like-minded person after I did my talk um, was just the idea of setting up um, like a play fund almost for the city of Atlanta where we can just kind of crowdsource it and everybody donates 5 or $10 every month and we put together a small pot and gather ideas from the community like, hey, we're going to put up some swings underneath billboards or turn bus stops into swings or put up a slide here. You know, some of these more low-key guerrilla style play playful installations that are really more aimed at kind of just getting you to stop in your tracks and to look at your space a little bit differently and to have that moment of levity and fun. Those are the projects that I'm really attracted to and they're really the low-cost ones. So our idea is to set up uh, a play fund for Atlanta so that we can make one thing, one kind of magical thing happen a month for the foreseeable future. So that's something I'm really excited about. And I, I'm sure there's uh, no pun intended with play fund. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just gave me a great idea for the design. <laughs> uh, I that's <know>. great. <laughs> Well, I, I'd love to uh, shift us a little bit and t- touch on uh, the work, the, the rest of the work that you do, as you mentioned a little bit that I mentioned in the introduction about uh, the Insights and Inspiration team where you get to look at future trends and cool stuff going on mm-hmm. all over the world. And I think the first time I talked to you, I, I said, I want your job. It just sounds so cool and amazing. Oh, and, thank uh, you. I'm very lucky. No, you can't have it. Sorry. <laughs> to, to get to play this way. But I'm wondering, you know, beyond what we've been talking about for the last uh, 20 minutes or so on on the topic of play and and how you saw this as part of a bigger global trend and things that are happening in cities and organizations, what else are you seeing that we should be paying attention to that that touches on fostering creativity and innovation, whether it's in the workplaces or cities or, or broadly speaking? Okay, well, I um, am a huge technology geek, (laughs) so a lot of the trends and new innovations that I tend to enjoy looking at just happen to be in the world of technology, and um, talking actually at Turner for quite a few years about things like 3D printing and the maker DIY movement, and I think those are critically important um, trends for everybody to be aware of just because they will dramatically change um, and shift all of our lives day to day as we know it and it's it's here and it's coming and in fact these these two trends in particular are very much tied into creativity um, and playfulness because they really enable us to be creative in ways that we um, in so- certain ways that we couldn't be before um, so for example i'm I'm actually sitting in our our lounge right now um, of our department at work and I'm looking at our MakerBot 3D printer and there are little pieces scattered all over the place of playful experiments that our team has tried um, to make on the, on the 3D printer. So I think that 
you know, the trend of returning to making things with our hands, again, a counter trend to everything being so digital and virtual and abstract, we are returning to wanting to create and make with our hands and technology is really facilitating that with things like 3D printing. So we're, we're busy making busts of uh, black dynamite from Adult Swim <laughs> and making uh, Lucky Charm sifters that let you sift out all the marshmallows from a box of Lucky Charms. <laughs> and um, we're learning about kind of the future of really manufacturing at the same time. And it's, it's something that I'm really passionate about that's going to change the entire world. And in fact, um, you know, speaking of tapping into the maker movement, we started a Turner Makers group on campus last year of essentially just pulling together like-minded folks who love to tinker and create and invent and hack. And they're the ones who partnered up with HR and created the piano staircase um, at CNN that I talked about earlier. We didn't hire out for it. It was done entirely in-house, all of that technology, the sensors. And so it's... um, it's, it really comes full circle. Everything is very much connected. I, I was going to also ask you on the technology side of things that, that you mentioned a couple times and that Turner's obviously very focused on digital and, and social and technology. And I think mm-hmm. you mentioned in, in your TED Talk about, um, you know, sort of the role of social and digital in, you know, being applied specifically for innovating and creative collaboration. Do you have any examples of, of how social and digital tools in addition to the, the 3D example you just used, 3D printing and, and making, where, where the digital and social technologies are, are being used to help create a collaboration across perhaps spaces and, and different groups? Huh. So you're asking specifically how social and digital – I'm sorry, could you rephrase the question a little bit? Yeah, how those technologies are helping really – foster creative collaboration. Again, you know, like you said earlier, you guys are spread all across the world. Are, are you making use of, of social technologies inside the organization to help collaborate and work together differently? We are. Um, you know, we're always experimenting. Um, we have we have a lot of internets set up and we have a lot of social collaboration tools that are, um, you know, we use Yammer um, quite a bit here internally and I know that we're always experimenting with different digital technologies and platforms that let us do creative brainstorming um, across great distances. We all have webcams set up. So I think um, it's it's pretty much part of our DNA very much, which is why yeah. maybe I hesitated a little bit because it's so ingrained here. It is part of our company DNA to always be experimenting with those technologies, um, not just on the consumer side, but to facilitate conversation and creative brainstorming um, within as well. I think, you know, so often sometimes the emphasis is on, you know, how creativity is is applied to design innovative technologies, i.e. the iPhone or something like that, as opposed to the flip side of how to use technology to help facilitate creativity and creative thinking and collaboration in different ways. So um, mm-hmm. and for places where it's happening, like yours, you know, like you said, sometimes you forget, like, it, it isn't happening everywhere. And, and uh, you know, what does that look like and how, how can we use some of these technologies you know, inside organizations to communicate and, and collaborate differently. Right. Yes. And I loved your example. Something to think about. I loved your example, Karen. On, um, I think it was on your Creative Mornings uh, slides, or maybe during your talk. But anyway, you were 
you were talking about your performance with your fiddle, electric fiddle, and we, oh yes, we, and that sounded uh-huh. like so much fun. Sort of this interweaving of the uh, music, uh, doubling and tripling. What was happening? <laughs> <laughs> really, I just would have loved to have been there. So, and that's so oh, play you. the fiddle, the fiddle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I've played the violin since I was about five or six years old, but I've really transformed with that. Um, these days I play an electric violin. Um, and the the example that Mary Alice was just referring to is when um, I collaborated with this uh, art group called the Weedles, W-I-I. <laughs> um, and essentially um, they hooked up my electric violin direct input and um, these performers hacked uh, a bunch of Nintendo Wii remotes, and when we played uh, performed live, I would play, um, for example, Canon in D, the, all the different parts on my violin, and each part would be assigned to a different musician, and they would be waving. Well, first of all, they'd be clad in these white lab coats, and they'd each be waving their hacked Nintendo Wii remote around, and each one would be modulating and distorting a part of what I'm playing in real time. So it just sounded completely crazy and symphonic and discordant and it was it was pretty magical <laughs> and wonderful. We called ourselves the world's first Wii remote rock band. <laughs> I don't know if there have been any more since then, but um, it was a really fun collaboration. I think for me what's really fun there is uh, the idea of taking something very traditional and completely turning that upside down and transforming it, and it's um, incredibly playful and a fun space for me. Well, Karen, we want to... Thank you very much for joining us on Creativity and Play today. And I also want to share with the listeners the question that you ended your TED Talk, which was, which was how, how will you give yourself permission to play and where will that lead you? And I, I advise. So thank you very much again for, for being with us today. It was such a pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Uh, Karen Lewis, head of Turner Broadcasting's Insights and Inspiration team and a weekly columnist on innovation for HLNTV.com. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find out more information about our guests and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity in Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity in Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Karen, maybe we can have you back and you can play your electric fiddle for us. I would love that. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks Thanks so much.